we've been talking about storms and uh, raining, learning to live victorious in the middle of storms. You know, storms are not from God, uh, meaning, you know, God didn't intend for us to have storms, but we live in a fallen world. And so everybody is going to face storms. We said this early on, you have to realize that uh, problems, tests, and trials are not from God, though it's taught that way often. You know, I don't know why God's sending this to me. If you approach problems that way, you won't resist them like you should because you'll think, well, maybe God's sending this to me, so why would I want to fight against this? Does it make sense? In other words, because if I'm fighting against a storm that God sent, then I'm fighting against God. And unconsciously, people think, well, then I, I don't want to put, you know, what, what do I do with this? Then some people, the first time a tough time comes in their life, they approach it like this. What am I doing wrong? And the problem with that is then they're not going to immediately resist the problem. They're going to think and evaluate their whole life. And I'm not saying you can't evaluate your life if you're doing something wrong, but storms will come to you just because you live in the world and even in the middle of the will of God. You know, you can read that in the Bible that one of the great people that was mightily used by God, Paul the Apostle, he had storms, tests, problems hit him all the time. And he just said this, none of these things move me. They don't move me. And he was just so for God and loving the Lord, he thought, it doesn't matter, I'm still going for it. But he didn't say, oh, maybe this is from God. You with me? And so we've been talking about different things, and today we're going to talk about the place of faith in storms and really in general in life. You know, the Bible said in 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So Jesus, you know, throughout his ministry, when people got results uh, and their own effort was involved, he always attributed it to their individual faith. In, and when we read Hebrews 11, you know, most people know that chapter. It talks about all these people who did these great things and overcame adversity, troubles, tests, were delivered from problems lived in victory, they faced problems, but it said they all did it by faith. And so, you know, if we're going to do something by faith, and the Bible said the just shall live by faith, in other words, those who have been justified in the Lord, who have received Christ, we're to live by faith. So if we don't know what faith looks like, how would we know if we're faithing? Is that a word? I just made it up. We'll add that to the dictionary. They add words every year and, um, that people make up. And uh, so if we need faith to overcome the world, then we need to know where does faith come from? Then when faith comes, what does it look like once you've got it? Wouldn't it if God put such a value on faith, remember when the Lord comes back? Remember what he said? He said, when I come back, I hope you guys have a party for me. No. He said, he said, you better be busy. No. He said, will I find faith in the earth? And how many of you know, you just go around talking to people, and you'll talk to people, and people got all kinds of faith. 
I got faith. I got faith. I got faith. But can we judge faith? If we know what faith really looks like, we can judge whether I've got faith, don't have faith. If I know where to get it, then I need to go there to get it. You with me? Then once I've got it, what do I do with it? I got faith because you could have faith. You know, there was a guy in Luke, the 14th chapter, Paul had been preaching the word of God, that guy we were talking about, and it said he perceived he had faith to be healed and he was still crippled, but he had faith to be healed, but he was still crippled. So once the man had faith, it wasn't automatic that he got healed. But if he did the right thing, and he did, he rose up. So we know this, if you've been here or you read your Bible, there's one place you can get faith. And, and, and it's not through prayer and saying, oh, Lord, I need more faith. Uh, it's through um, the Word, right? Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing. So that there's a lot that's written right there, and it says from hearing by the word of God. So it says faith comes like you guys came from somewhere here this morning. So you were at a location, and you came to this location. You came. You were somewhere. And so he said faith comes from somewhere it comes, where does it come from? You know, maybe I'll run into it one day. No, he said faith comes from hearing. So the avenue by which faith is transferred to an individual. Now remember, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so he said faith comes by hearing. So in other words, the way to get it from wherever it is, is through hearing. But then he tells you the location where faith is found from hearing God's word. So we have this book and that's why there's such a fight over this book today. And it's happened before because to devalue this book is to devalue faith. And if you can rob people at the source They'll listen to all other kinds of things because you know what else comes by hearing? Doubt, unbelief, fear, deception, bondage comes from hearing. Your dad was like that. Your grandpa was like that. You will be like that too. Oh, I guess so. It traveled from somebody. That's unbelief. It's a lie. And isn't it interesting that people hold to that and say, well, you know, I'm Irish, so therefore I've got a temper problem, you know, or well, I'm whatever. But isn't it interesting people have held to that, and what they did was they allowed a lie to travel into their life the same way that faith comes, and it held them in bondage. Isn't it interesting Jesus said you, sh you individually would know the truth and we're talking about faith. And he said, you would know the truth. Then once you knew it, the truth would make you free. Well, where is this truth? It's in the book. It's in God's book. So if the truth I know makes me free, and we can readily see that it's through faith, and faith comes by hearing, 
God's word. It's getting that truth out of the book into me through hearing so I can change the way I think and I can start living a life of victory or at least, let me say this, have the potential. So if faith travels through hearing, other things do too. Now we're going to hear all kinds of stuff when we're in the world. But really there has to be an acceptance of it and you should not just readily fill your mind with junk. You shouldn't. You should not readily fill your mind with junk because really your heart receives good and bad and it'll grow. So you don't want to just allow everything in. You with me? You can't stop everything from coming, but you can stop from entertaining things. And then you can be selective about what you hear personally. Because why? Things come when you hear, and faith, whatever faith is, it travels from God's Word, so we know the absolute source of faith is not just general, I have faith, I have faith, do you have faith, I got faith. No, faith is something specific from a specific location that can come from that location to you as an individual. That's why Jesus said, be careful what you hear. And another time he said, take heed or give attention to what you hear. What and how you hear, he mentioned both. Take heed how? Well, what does that mean? Well, have you ever been talking to somebody? And you know, a husband's talking to the wife and, you know, you get done and she said, did you hear what I just said? And he says, why do you always start your sentences with, did you just hear what I said? You'll think about that and realize he didn't hear what she said. Because why? Jesus said, take heed not only what you hear, but how. And then he said this, the measure you use well, then it, because of how you listen, it will be measured back to you. So if you hear somebody talking and you're like, I just can't wait for them to be done, la, la, la. And then they're like, you, you'll do that right. And you're like, oh, no. Because you weren't measuring out. How, what do I mean by that? You weren't paying attention. You weren't respecting what was being said. You were making light of it. And so now that you need it, you don't have it because it's, the ear, so to speak, is clogged. What do you mean clogged? It's closed up by not measuring out. You with me? And so the faith that could come from his word doesn't come, or if somebody's really reverent, respectful, paying attention, then the faith that's in that book when they hear will come to them. You with me? And so, but what does it look like when it, in the book, and what does it look like when it gets in you? Is there a way to measure what faith looks like when you're getting faith? What, in other words, if I don't have faith and I do have faith, there should be some way to measure it and some transformation internally because faith, we know, gets in the heart. You with me? 
And so turn to Hebrews 11. Most of you are probably, you know, familiar if you've ever been to one of those home stores or whatever. They have the little plaques and it seems like, you know, you get 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And then you get this one too. Hebrews 11.1 1, and a couple other verses that they seem to put up there. And you're like, wow, that's pretty neat. You know, whatever that means. But if we're talking about faith that's in the book, traveling through an ear, getting into the heart, then what does it look like when it's in the heart? What, is fa what does faith look like so I could know? Is if faith comes, then faith must be real. It must be something. You with me? In other words, if, if it's in the book and then it travels through your hearing and then it gets in your heart and gets in you, then it has to be something. You with me? No offense to little kids, but you ever had the tea party? You ever had a tea party? With a kid, not, not, not with an adult. Or, you know, and then, then at the tea party, they're like, you know, you're drinking. They're, are you not going to eat that? And you're like, what? That donut. And you're like, oh, sorry. And then you grab their donut. You know what I'm talking about? With the, the little kid. And you start eating the donut. And they're like, well, what do you think? And you're all, mmm. And they're all. I made that. And you get up and leave, and they're like, we'll do this again tomorrow. Well, faith comes, and there is something there that comes through your hearing that gets in your heart. But when you're doing that tea party, there ain't nothing there. And though you act like something's there coming to you and getting in you, nothing is. But there is something that's transferred when you hear the word of God. And not all of it transfers the right thing. Or if it's told wrong or heard wrong, because you ever read something and thought, well, that's what it says. And later on, you grew a little bit in God and went, ooh, that's not what that said. Thank you for your excitement. And... Uh, so we want whatever that substance, it's real. Faith is really something because otherwise it couldn't come. It would be like, you know, a tea party. There would be no tea, but you'd pretend. You'd sip. You'd maybe even blow on it. But there ain't nothing there. But with faith, there really is something there. But when it gets here, do you know if it's there? Because is faith visible at first or is it the effect of faith that we see meaning this how many of you have ever seen the wind just raise your hand okay don't raise your hand because you've only seen the effect of the wind but the air is moving and it has great effect faith is not something that you see but it can have great effect and it's real Notice Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is. So here he's going to tell you what faith is, or you could say it like this, what does faith look like? If I want to spot faith, then I want to know what it looks like. And so he's telling you, now faith is. This is what faith is. 
So if it's not this, then it's not faith. Would you agree? Meaning if he's going to tell you what faith looks like and what you think faith is is totally the opposite, I would question what you think is faith. And so if I can know from these scriptures what faith is or what it looks like, then when I get it, I can examine myself and go, I got faith. I have faith. Do you guys know I have faith? Now faith is, notice this phrase, the substance of things hoped for. Now that's an interesting statement because substance takes up space. Right? In other words, that donut at the tea party, it doesn't take up space. Substance does. Substance is a commodity. But isn't it interesting, he said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, the Bible said, hope that is seen is not hope. Hope is invisible first. It's something you don't see. I was hoping you guys would come this morning. I would only say that in the past tense. I was hoping, and I'm glad you did. But I wouldn't say, I sure hope you come right now. No, because you're there. I no longer have to hope. So isn't it interesting? This faith, whatever this faith is, is the very substance of what you hope for, what you don't even see yet. So faith is a real substance that travels from the book through your hearing into your heart. And then he said, it's also the evidence, or you could read it like this, faith is the evidence. What is evidence? You know, a murder weapon, you know, at court, a picture of you speeding through the intersection, and they captured it. You know what I mean? There's evidence. There, it's, it's proof. So notice, he said, faith is the evidence, the proof, the substance, so it's something. But notice, of things not seen. So you can get this evidence and proof in your own heart and not even see in this realm what it is yet. In other words, you can have a real substance, a real, you know, the margin of my Bible even says other things. It says it's the confidence or the realization. In other words, faith will create a realization in you. I mean a true realization of heaven, of God, of Jesus. That's why the Bible, Paul writing to the Galatians, he said that Christ might be formed in you. How? Through the truth, by his spirit. God will take the written word and he will make it real to you inside when you hear it. And then what happens is, as faith comes, you could say substance, a real something 
comes in you. Now, not with the physical because it's not seen yet. So before you see anything, you can have an inward substance. And if you got some substance, right, like you got a burrito in your hand or that air donut, one substance, one is not. And more real than that burrito in your hand is this faith that can get in your heart. Because remember, this is the victory that overcomes the world, the problems in this realm, even your faith. And he tells you how to get this faith and how to transfer it from the word to your heart. So we should never make an excuse. Well, I'm just too busy to read the Bible. Then I'm too busy to get what would cause me to have victory out of the book, through my ears, and into my heart, and then pray, God, help me. And he's already told us how to get help. You with me? And he is merciful, but notice it's the realization of things not seen. It's the confidence of things not seen. It says faith is the evidence. So this means when you get the word in your heart, you'll have, you'll have all the evidence you need. That what, the, what is true is true without even seeing it yet. You'll have all of it. Because he said it will come out of the word, it will get in your heart. And so then what does that mean? Well, you could hear a scripture concerning a Christian that the Spirit of God's in you, and He will never leave you, and you say, well, I don't feel like it. But remember, before feeling is faith. Because He said it's not seen or felt or experienced yet. But you can have the realization just by accepting the Word of God that you hear once you're saved, God's in me now. And when that's really in me, then I have confidence. When I'm accepting that word, or I could be accepting a different word. Well, I don't feel like he's with me right now. Oh, when we were singing, then I could tell he was with me. You're, you're working outside of the Bible. Is God working when we're praising him? Sure. But that didn't mean he just showed up because the word said he wouldn't leave you once you're saved. And that he would be in you always. So the issue is we just started praising him and we sensed him manifest, but he was in you the day you got saved. Now you can get filled with the Spirit too, to overflowing, but from the day you get saved to the day you die, he's in you. Oh God, please be with me today. You realize you don't have the substance, the reality the evidence, the proof that he's already in you, or you would not ask that. You would say, thank you, God. You are in me now. Well, where did I get that from? I'll never leave you. I'll be with you always. I'll live in you. You are my temple now, and I'll dwell in you. You're the temple of the Spirit of God. Another one, you're the temple of the living God, and he'll walk in you, live in you, be in you. I mean, you go through those verses, then if those things got into your heart, you would go, God's with me. I don't have to ask you to be with me. Well, then now that I know he's with me, I just need to say, now bless me, Lord. 
Well, you don't have the proof, the reality, the evidence, the substance that the Bible said his blessing is on you now because you're in Christ, the Bible said. So I don't have that realization. I don't have that confidence. So I say, please, Lord, bless me. Just bless what I'm doing. No, the reason we ask that is because we haven't allowed faith to travel from the book that said he's with you. His blessing is on you. It will be on you because you're in Christ Jesus. We haven't allowed that to travel into our ears. Maybe we've listened to other things and heard people beg for things. When God provided by grace all that you need. And it's already yours. So it needs to travel into your ears and get into your heart so you have the realization yourself. That's why he said, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Notice, even our or your or my faith. It has to be your faith. It has to be my faith in overcoming. That's why he tells us everybody can individually build and develop their own faith. Writing to the Thessalonians, he said, your faith grows exceedingly. And it's interesting that when you read about them, they were people who were noble when it came to the scriptures. They didn't just hear what was preached. It said they would go and search the scriptures to see if what was spoken was so. Why would they do such a thing? Maybe they knew that faith and confidence and assurance that would give them victory travels through what you hear. So you better be careful what you accept when you're hearing. Because you could hear something that would tell you something wrong and you'd say, now we're just waiting on God. And God said, I've already given it to you. And so therefore, they went and searched the scriptures because they didn't want to just swallow everything that was said. And they were called more noble, but their faith grew. Their faith grew, it said, exceeding. Well, what does that mean? You could read it like this. Their faith or the substance of things not grew, uh, seen grew exceedingly in them. The evidence and proof, the realities of things not seen grew exceedingly in them. I mean, these, these statements about faith and what faith is was growing exceedingly in them. So you could say, the book is very confident. But they got the confidence that was in the book and their confidence grew exceedingly. Because if you just say their faith grew exceedingly, this is telling you what faith is. It's kind of giving you a picture of it. So you could say as they were searching and studying and being careful what they heard and examining to make sure what they were hearing was right, it was causing an inward substance to get in them called faith before they ever saw. And then they got inward evidence before they saw. And they got an inward realization and an inward confidence. So when I'm getting faith, if my confidence is diminishing, then am I getting faith? But isn't it interesting, Paul said this, I have, I place no confidence in the flesh. So faith will take confidence away from just the visual 
and it will build in what's not seen yet. But if we know faith and we see faith in the Bible, then we recognize the visible or the seen, which we don't put our confidence in. You know how many people put confidence in the physical surroundings and situations that are happening? That's where their confidence is. We're doomed. The stock market's going this way or this is happening. And they're putting their confidence there because they don't have confidence in here. People are prone to put their confidence somewhere. And so they would do that. And Paul said, I don't do that anymore. I have no confidence in the flesh, the natural. My confidence now is in the Word of God. My confidence is growing from the written Word of God, the truths that I see in the Scripture. So if, if my faith is growing, it's not going to grow in just like, oh, the stock market. It would supersede the stock market. Man, the blessing of God is on me. And the Bible said the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. The only reason my confidence in a failure in the stock market would come is I'm no longer looking at his word and the confidence that is produced out of the word, and I'm looking at life. You with me? But once you get this faith, you know, because we said if faith is somewhere and comes then I'll have confidence. Confidence before God. I mean, think about it. The Bible talks about Christ suffered one time to purge you from all your sins. The Old Testament shows nobody could get into the temple, but once a year, and it said there was a veil there. They couldn't enter in and except once a year. And then it says that when Christ died, that veil rent. And the Bible said that the tearing of Jesus' body was actually the payment to make our way behind the veil so that you would be like you never, ever sinned, and he would pay for past, present, and future sins. He would never have to die again like those animals that would make people conscious of failure. Well, if you get that confidence in you that, man, oh my, now that I'm saved, all my sins are washed away, I can come boldly right to where those priests could only come once a year. This means I can have a phenomenal relationship with God. But what if I live under condemnation? Then I don't have confidence. Why? Well, the Bible tells us he paid for it because I don't really have in my heart the truth that he has washed me even though he has washed me. But once I realize he covered everything, past, present, and future, then I can come confidently to him. You with me? Like knowing I'm clean inside. But if I don't have that, I'll be trying to perform to be clean. Now, should we live right? Sure we should. Because we've been created different. And if we're going to live by faith... That means we're going to act on this faith that's in our heart. You with me? And so when we talk about faith coming, faith getting in you, once you've got a heart full of faith, what do you do with this faith? In other words, man, if my heart is full of faith that Jesus, not me, has set me free and cleaned me, and I don't have to be a coward to go before him thinking, look what I just did last week. 
Look what I did 10 minutes ago. I don't have to be a coward, but the only way I'm not going to be a coward is if I have inward confidence that's going to have to travel from the word. And it's going to be before you see yourself feeling better that he's going to tell you you're in good shape and you are clean. It's even interesting that he said you could go to that throne of grace now and not once a year, every time you would like. And he said you could obtain mercy. Well, why do you need mercy? Because people fail. So he said, you don't have to run from me anymore because I've already paid for it. But if you don't get these truths in you, you could act like a coward before God. You know, have you ever seen those dogs at the, whatever they call that place, the pound? You know, I don't know what they call it. They probably have a better name for it today so the dogs aren't more traumatized. But um, don't get offended. And, uh, but you ever gone there and thought, oh, I like this. And you ever seen those dogs and you're like, this is a cool dog. And you want to go pet the thing and it runs from you. What's the problem here? You ever done that? Or you, or you get a dog home or you know somebody who got a dog like that and you're like, cool, I want to be nice to you. And the dog freaks out and he's like, ugh. He pees on himself and runs away. Ducks his head. But wait a minute, are you going to treat them ill? No, not at all. You have no intention. Your intention is to be kind. How many people have a dog mentality that's been beaten when they go to approach God and they think God's going to smack them and God's mad at them when he already placed all the penalty and all the judgment on Jesus so that you could boldly come? Because here's the thing. Even when you're at your best, you stink. Just to let you know, you stink when it comes to be perfect. You with me? In other words, you're like, our pastor's so perfect. Um, I know. Uh, no, no. Even at my best, I'm not perfect enough to be accepted before God. Or Jesus would not have needed to die because there would have been a channel for people to be perfect enough to be acceptable. The problem is wrong thinking, and they're not realizing what he paid for, paid for this thing to get rid of guilt. And so I'm still thinking about guilt. I need to become conscious of the fact of what he paid for, that he really does love me, and I could have done something wrong and go right into his presence. But there's the other person who's like, I'm doing everything right. Here I come. And you aren't. From your knowledge you are, but from God's standpoint, you're not 100%. That disqualifies you. That's why the Bible said even your righteousness is as filthy rags. Therefore, the Bible tells us that the righteousness of Jesus becomes yours. That needs to get in your heart. You need to get confident of that. Because no matter how perfect you are, you're not perfect enough. Or we wouldn't have needed Jesus to come. Therefore, we should probably be merciful to others who are less perfect than us. You know, uh, there's a story in the Bible about one guy who had a debt. And uh, he uh, had a debt in, in the, the numeric or the number 
standard back then, it was more than you could pay. It was beyond like measure. Like we talk about trillions and everything, their number system only went to a certain thing. And this, this ruler came and said, you owe me this and you got to pay me. And they tell the number and it was the highest number that was recognized back then. He said, I can't pay, have mercy on me. And he said, all right, I'll have mercy on you. I'll let you go. And he did. Let him go, meaning a debt he could not pay. Then it says he went out to a fellow servant who owed him, or a fellow person who owed him, and it was like a couple of pennies compared. And he threatened to beat him, and he did all this stuff to him. And he said, you have to pay me all. Then that guy who let him go went and found him and said, you're dead meat. Now you're going to have to pay for it all yourself. That's a story about us. We all had a debt we could not pay. So don't hold two pennies against somebody else who's being mean because the Lord forgave you such a big, huge debt. Don't ring somebody else out. Now, I'm not saying if somebody owes you money, don't make them pay you back. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a forgiving person. You with me? And thinking, well, they're just so bad and holding it against them. No, God could have held stuff against us, and he didn't. What I'm saying is, not trying to teach on that, but you need to recognize we need this confidence, this faith in our heart that he paid for this. It will change our relationship with him. But, but with that being said, because I'm going to need to close, and I don't know that I'll get back to this next week, once you have this faith, the very next verse says this, for by it or by having this faith, verse 2, and you know, you could spend a lot more time teaching on that, but verse, meaning verse 1, but verse 2 says, for by it or by this faith or having this inward confidence, this inward assurance, notice what it says. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Wouldn't everybody have a good testimony if they had faith? If you had an inward confidence that God loved you, you'd say, man, God loves me. <laughs> I failed yesterday. You know, God still loves me. If I've got that inward confidence, that inward realization, that inward substance, I'm clean and I see it in me, that's going to give me a good testimony. I'm clean. I'm clean. If the truth that puts realization in me and substance in me that I'm blessed. It's a real something down inside, and it'll give me a good testimony. You know I'm blessed. Somebody said, oh, brother, he's bragging. No, I'm talking about this substance I got in me that came from him. It's not even of myself. It's not even of me. It's of him. And so you could see how your whole life would expand and have a good testimony. In other words, the result of this getting in you will change the words that come out of your mouth. And isn't it interesting that he goes on to say stuff like that? By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. They came out of God's mouth from his heart. So that the things which are seen, now remember... The things that are seen were not made of things that are, notice this phrase, visible. 
Remember, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen or not visible. So once this faith gets in your heart, you can actually have something visible here that once it changes your testimony and changes your actions, will take that invisible substance that's in you and change the visible. Then he goes on and talks about all these different people, how their lives all changed, how they all got victory, even though they faced troubles, bondage, and different things, and goes all the way through them, I mean just through the book of Hebrews, until the very end, and it says one person was cut in half by faith. Another was, but some, you know, were delivered from lions and all this. It said because they refused deliverance. In other words, they had the faith, they refused it. They said, no, that's all right, that they might receive a greater inheritance. But he talks about all these people having this inward substance and how that's how the ark got built. That's how Abraham conceived and had a baby. That's how people got healed. People got raised from the dead. You go on and on just because of this. And we're talking about storms and how to reign. And this is a huge thing. Once it gets in you, you get heavenly substance in you that can change your life. It will change your testimony. Then it will change your actions. But here's the thing about faith. It's not just the principle. It's based out of a relationship. And the words we're talking about that produce faith are actually truly God's own words. And God's words have power. They have his backing. When you get them in you and they start to dominate your words and your mouth, your life will change and it wouldn't matter what storm came. That's why Jesus said, pass to the other side. And when they started sinking and they woke him in, in a panic, he said, where's your faith? I told you we're going to make it to the other side. They let go of that inward confidence. But the Lord expected them to do something about that storm. Pretty wild. You know, God believes in us way more sometimes than we believe in ourselves. Even when we do believe in ourselves, he still believes in us more. 